Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. In my eyes, Beth Comstock is what's known as a business legend. She's more than just a social lady. In fact, she worked her way all the way up to be vice chair at GE. Now she's just come out with a book called Imagine It Forward, and it is awesome. Take a listen. Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show Thanks today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I feel so honored to have you here. As you know, you're a major business girl crush. I've loved thank watching you. everything that you've done. It's been really, really incredible. And so I'm particularly fascinated to learn from you what you feel the three moments, if you had to narrow it down to three, what three moments in your career really helped define your journey? Yeah, I think one was just a very personal story that I share in the book about getting a divorce, being a single mother, and then taking off for New York, you know, my single, my little child and me, uh, and moving to New York from Washington, D.C. We had no family in the area, um, but I wanted to pursue a career at NBC, and I thought I had to be here, here in New York. And so it was probably the riskiest thing I'd ever done. Um, but it was a defining moment for me. It gave me confidence. I can do this. The second one was also NBC. Um, I had left and come back. I had left and gone to other media companies and I was at CBS, which was doing very well. And I got a call from NBC to, would you come back? Uh, the news divisions basically imploded back in the days of the original fake news. Um, it basically brought, almost brought the news division to its knees and they kind of cleaned everybody out. And they brought a new president in at the time, Andy Lack, who's now the chairman. Yeah. And um, there was a resurrection of the news division and it was seemingly the worst job on earth. No one would take it, but I had to have that job. And it was the, to this day, probably the, one of the best jobs I've ever had. It unlocked my entrepreneurial spirit I knew I could do that in a big company and I got to be part of an amazing team. And that kind of set a blueprint for me. And then I'd say the, the last thing was just taking a chance and going to GE from the media world. So I went to work when Jack Welch was still at GE and most, and most people wanted to like get out of GE and go to the GE side and go into NBC. And I was one of the few people that was like, no, I actually want to be on this other platform. And it was just interesting to me. And, and it totally defined my career and gave me a chance to see the world in a way I don't know that I would have otherwise. So all three of those moments are somewhat counterintuitive, yeah. right? You're in the first one, you're leaving this sort of very traditional path that makes all the sense. For the second one, you were going to the number three brand, going from CBS to NBC, yeah. taking a big chance, and then going from an industry that's considered really sexy, right? Yeah, like the media was. world, yeah. right, to GE. How did you find the internal strength? How did you know what you needed to do? Well, I didn't know what I needed to do, honestly. It was just this, this voice that just said, you have to do this. Like, there's something intriguing. I couldn't even articulate it often. It was just, I want to be there. I, I, I was part intuition that you're saying, I you can't even put words to it. And I'm ambitious. And these were challenges. These were opportunities to kind of raise my own bar and say, let's take on something new and try something. Um, I think a lot of it is knowing yourself. And I knew I wouldn't be happy staying in Washington, D.C. I am ambitious. At CBS, it was fun. It was entertainment publicity, but I really loved news. Uh, and GE, I just felt was a big intellectual challenge. And I just felt like I need to be part of that. So I think it was those two things, not being able to just a gut and then saying, but know yourself and know what would be good for you. 
So learning through that entire career trajectory, that ambition was what drove you and that that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to, to do have that. ambition. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think um, we've often been taught, uh, I think maybe some more for women that we've been taught ambition is not a good thing. Right. Um, and I think I've had, I've had a bit of a love hate with ambition mm -hmm. too, feeling like I, I can't claim that I'm ambitious. But I am like it's a bad word. Yeah, for it's, women. A, it's like a bad word. And and why? Why? Why is that? It just means you want to be better. You want you want more. Um, so and to me, you want more opportunity to be better is how how it's how I've translated it. Now you've talked a lot about an imagination gap yeah. in your book. Imagine it forward, which I loved. By Thank the way. you. I really, truly did. Tell me why imagination is so critical. Well, one, I think it gets a bad rap in companies because they, imagination seems like creativity and it seems like it's superfluous. It's kind of, there's probably a department for that. Maybe some people think there's a condition for that. Right. It just makes them feel uncomfortable. Right. Many people in business think it's all about logic. It's all about practical, decisive steps. And that's part of what imagination is. To me, imagination is this ability to think ahead. Uh, to imagine a future and then make it happen. That was really what I wanted to do. I felt we don't do enough of that in business. We just default to the practical, to the logical, to the non-emotional, and yet we miss all kinds of opportunities to really take leaps, to um, be expansive in our thinking, to wallow in ambiguity, mm. to let ideas kind of flow around us and test and learn. To me, it's imagination is about critical thinking. Yes. It's about thinking expansively and then making a decision and acting on it. And too often we just think about the expansive thinking yes. and not the other parts of it. I always try and encourage my team when I'm thinking about this to say, what if? I love that. What if? Yeah. What if we could do this? Yeah. How might we approach yeah. it? Yeah. What if? And I really was just at IDEO recently and they, I love their how might we framing. I think that's really powerful. One of the things that really resonated with me for this book uh, was concepts like the imagination breakthroughs. I loved the imagination breakthroughs and thinking about not only how you could anticipate the future, but how you would make sure that at GE, imagining would be taken seriously. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I um, had taken over recently as chief marketing officer. We yeah. hadn't had one in 20 years, so people didn't know what to do with me to begin with. And it was a declaration that we're going to make marketing about growth and innovation. It's about the market. We're going to take our name very seriously, live in the market, see where change is happening, translate it, and drive new growth. Yes. Lodge me a new revenue. And so how do you do that? Especially with a company that didn't know what to expect. They think at that point, it was largely industrial, business to business, thinking marketing's maybe what you do at the end. It's an ad, it's a brochure. That was fine, but we were saying no marketing's in the beginning. Well, how did we show that? So we created really what I call a protected class of ideas. And there are these imagination breakthroughs. And it was led by marketing across the business. And we said, the goal of the marketing teams is to integrate the various silos in the organization, sales, product, supply chain, and help generate ideas that are going to grow new revenue. Yes. We set a target. We'd like it to be, a, in, in G's case, it was like $100 million of incremental revenue. And it was quite interesting what happens in the early stages of it. People come back and they, they dust off their bad ideas or, or they just throw something in because they think it's going to get funded. And we started to say, no, you have to, we're going to have a funding mechanism. You have to fund it and we have to fund it, but you must protect it. So what happens in companies is people don't have the money, they don't assign the people to own it, and they kill it when they've got to make budget pressures, quarterly pressures if they're public. And we said, no, you can't do that. You have to protect this idea. How long is it going to take? 
two years. Okay, you're going to protect that idea and the people who are working on it for two years. You're going to monitor progress, but protect it. You can't kill it just because you don't have funding or because, you know, whatever other crazy reason that comes out. If it's a bad idea, kill it. Yeah. But if it's just because you've got too many other things, then make this a priority. So that's the lesson from that. And I think anyone can do that. Anyone can carve off a certain amount of budget, time, and people to invest in what's next and what's new. And I wonder if you run a team or an organization, how can you not do that? It takes a lot of discipline to do this. It takes a lot of discipline, especially when I'm thinking about this. And I've done things like this where I'll say, okay, let's think about the future, what direction we need to go. Let's go all in this direction. And then you can so easily, like you said, get distracted by numbers you need to hit, a client who's upset. You know, there can be all of these things that can easily make you pull back. And they're valid, right? It's not like like you don't mean well as a a CEO of your company. You mean well, but they're both realities you have to face. And it's the discipline that you need to say, we're doing this. this. And I loved what you said too about sometimes you kill an idea because it's yeah. a bad idea too. Well, I've found companies, organ teams, no matter if it's a small team or big one, what, here's the things that we do wrong with this. We only have enough money to fund three ideas, but we love five. Yep. And so we underfund all of them. Yep. And so basically you may as well fund none of them. Yep. We don't know when to kill an idea yep. because somebody's ego is involved. Yep. Because somebody, the boss said it was a good idea and the team doesn't have the fortitude to come back and say, but the baby's ugly. We don't test enough around it. Yep. We assume the idea is great. We put all of our scale into it as opposed to testing the idea small yep. and then with confidence scaling later. So there are probably a dozen more of those, but those are the pretty common uh, examples I found of what kills it. It's very inspiring for me as a leader, even thinking about it. And that's what I loved about the book was that it gave me actionable takeaways that I could use as a leader. I just think imagination can come from everywhere, but when the leader allows for and supports a culture of imagination, that's really what's going to change the game. And and that, that really got me thinking. I think one of the things that I, I love about your work with GE and having watched it for so many years, I mean, we, everybody knew that GE was like this beacon in social media and that you were really committed to creating what you described in the book as this content factory. Mm -hmm. You were going to invest in this early and you were going to get there. And not everybody was on board with that, right? Exactly. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I was passionate about it. And I was fortunate to be partnered with some great people like Linda Boff, who I know you know and have talked to. Um, And um, partly it was just, I think, because I had come out of media, this sense of um, everybody has a right to tell their own story with the rise, as you know, the rise of social media and many more people telling stories. Why don't brands have the same capability? Why are we just restricted to an ad block to tell our story? That doesn't give us context. And so it also, we had to be, we had to be competitive and good. And so that was our challenge. How are we as good as a media company? Because we think we are a media company of a certain kind. And what's our story? It was as simple as that, but as difficult as that, because on the surface, what do you, what do you mean? Like you make jet engines and, and trains, and unless you love jet engines, that sounds really boring, yeah. right? I mean, but what we did was we basically had a couple of great visionaries on the team who were sort of producers and seeders, and then we created a farm team around the globe, but especially in really offbeat places around the U.S. of just small independent producers who would give them a challenge. Hey. Are you into hydraulic braking? Yeah. Well, tell us how you tell that as a story. And so Benjamin Palmer and the team at Barbarian Group came back with vats of jello and dropped bowling balls and eggs and 
all kinds of crazy things and said, this is what happens with hydraulic braking. Yeah. And wow, you know, the slow-mo guys started showing us what nanotechnology looks like in slow-mo. And once you start to kind of open your imagination and you're willing to be scrappy, and I think the lesson is you can't be precious about it. You have to get out of the way. Yeah. You have to say, here's a goal. We think this is really interesting, but you're the storyteller. You You do it. You do it. Um, Because often in story, we're too close to it. And so that was for us... We took, I'd say, fit to start 10 to 15% of our budget. Yeah. That was normally storytelling budget. And gee, big brand was not big budget. So right. people hear this, they may be thinking, oh, well, that's easy for you to yep. say. We're talking very small budget. Yep. But cleave at least 10 to 15% to say, let's go experiment. Let's find these smaller people. The good news is they're also cheaper yep. because they're not attached to a big concern. Right. And um, they want to they make a name for themselves. Yep. So all those things work together. And so it became a bit of a content lab, if you will. And as things tested on social, we'd scale it in other platforms. One of the things that I find so fascinating is that even though we are much deeper into the social media space, it's, it's, it's several years later yeah. now, it's still in its infancy yeah. and there it's aren't amazing. enough brands doing that? What do you think holds companies back? Yeah. I love that question. I think about it a lot. I mean, a lot of it is just fear of taking a risk. Yeah. They're afraid they might look stupid. I mean, you know, some of the things we did were kind of silly, right? Right. I mean, we did this thing, spring break it, where you could go in on social and we'd break advanced materials. And and to a researcher that might look stupid, Yeah, right? But so you have to sort of be willing to take a risk. You have to try it on platforms that it's, you know, you're not going to try it on the Super Bowl. Where right. You've got like right. tens of millions of people watching, but try it in a place where you can sort of test and learn. And so that is how you, what the antidotes, I think people feel they're going to be stupid. They feel someone's going to say you're wasting money, which we got a lot from yes. colleagues. Uh, you're wasting G's money. So you have to be able to say, one, we're not wasting that much yep. money. Here's our strategy. Yep. Here's what we're trying to do. Connect with different audiences. So for example, uh, we did a video on the juice train. That was a yep. train that went carrying Tropicana orange juice. Yep. And it was for train enthusiasts, maybe for orange juice enthusiasts. But there's this whole <laughs> vibrant community out there of people called foamers. Yes. They foam at yep. the mouth because they yep. love trains. Some of them buy our trains. Some of them buy our stock. Some of them come work for us. Some of them just, we'd like them to know about the brand. So when you can say to people... Here's who we're trying to attract, and we could spend a million dollars on an ad, or we could spend $25,000 on a social media campaign and reach more of the people. Suddenly, the discussion's a lot different, right? You have done your homework, you have returns. So I think you just have to, I think you have to be willing to, you know, have a strategy, sit down and explain it to people. I find working with finance is really helpful in these cases, as opposed to fighting them. And heaven knows I've done my share of that, but inviting them in. Look, Here's what we're doing. Help us put it into metrics that you would feel comfortable with. In this case, a million dollars for an ad versus $25,000 for a campaign, that's an easy ask of, of, of finance. And you were also able to correlate. If I if I remember correctly, it was like for every dollar you yeah. spent, it was a dollar forty one exactly. in brand value. Yeah, Is that right? Memory. Exactly. I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah. I, I remembered it because yeah. it was really good that you... What I liked about that, and I think people can learn from that, is Find the story yeah. that helps you show and correlate the growth that you need to try this. Exactly. Stuff. And that said, in particular, what we also did is we created something we called the AMP Room, which was just about maximum yeah. amplification. And it meant PR and marketing working together. Yes. And so it wasn't enough just to have that thing on social media. We had to then have it covered in with PR, yep. share it with customers, have people talk about it. 
do it with the customer. So they got excited. In yeah. many cases, we were helping the customer learn about social media too. So they felt smarter. So all those become kind of return metrics that, that layer up to that number. The other tip that I love that you gave that I think is still relevant today, you guys partnered with BuzzFeed mm -hmm. when they were small. Yeah. And so they were nowhere near exactly. as expensive exactly. as they would be today. And so looking at some of those smaller partners and testing and really being unafraid to be first. Right. I think that's what GE did too. That was really cool. Exactly. And again, it's counterintuitive because most why people don't take the risk. They're like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get the audience right. I want. But not yet. And a BuzzFeed, a name it new media platform, they're desperate to get a branded partner yep. to go take to other brands. Yep. So we both won in that. Um, we got buzz out of it. Look at this new thing that these two are doing together. So there are a lot of reasons to do it. One, you have to be willing to take a little risk. Right. Not every network or not every publishing site is going to be BuzzFeed. Right. Like it ex exactly. happened to so, explode. And at there the are moment. a lot of duds we had too of things that we thought were going to work and yes. didn't. And of course, I never remember the duds, but trust me, we had them. You have to have <laughs> the kind of people with the tolerance for testing. Yes. So you need, you know, at least a person on your team yep. who's okay with that kind of uh, ambiguity and test, test, test. And you have to be patient and maybe even have fun with it which is hard sometimes, but you know, it's not that serious. I love it. I, I really, it's, it's such a great look back at something that I, as a marketer, looked up to for mm -hmm. so many years. So it's like, it's such a great peek behind the curtain. To yeah. really but see. hopefully there's contemporary lessons in oh, that ton. Of, of saying, just take these risks, whatever the platform is, there are always going to be new platforms, yes. right? That's, that's what I hope people take away. More than ever before yeah. are there more platforms. Yeah, exactly. And really looking it's daunting, at, right? Yeah, it is. It is daunting. But I think when you know, I think it's very comforting to hear, you know, when we tried for every BuzzFeed we tried, we had duds too. Yeah, exactly. And looking at that helps people and marketers be unafraid to take a little bit. And I think rest. for you in running your company and for likable media, you yep. have to hold the hand of yep. some of these people who, you know, it's segmentation. Yep. Some of your clients are going to be more risk-taking than others. How do you get them comfortable? So that means you have to absorb some of the risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Beth, we're heading on to the lightning round. I'm going to okay. ask you three questions and whatever comes to your okay. head, you're going to say it. Let's see. Here we go. Oh, I'm excited to know these. Okay. Number one, what woman do you admire most in the world? Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I have to say I have two grown daughters and they're women now. And I just can't tell you how I admire them. My older daughter is tire fearless, tireless, but fearless. She's traveled the world. She takes off and goes to crazy places like Easter Island on her own. She's She's traveled to Patagonia. I mean, she's just incredibly independent and, and driven by discovery. My younger daughter's an, an actress and she has put herself in a situation that I can't relate to. And uh, she loves what she does, but she puts herself out every day in a casting for somebody to say, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, and, um, and it's built an incredible resilience in her, but something I can't, don't know. I really admire her, her fortitude. Isn't it amazing when you have these children and they grow up yeah. and they, they, they approach things sometimes so differently from you. And it's just so awe-inspiring. When I look at my girls, I have two girls, they're teenagers now, but um, and a son who's three, which is a whole other story. Oh my goodness, you have your hands <laughs> whole full. Whole other story. Yeah. That's a different story. We don't know who he's going to be yet. But when I look at the girls, I just love seeing who they're becoming as yeah. people. And it's funny, on some level, they were always there. Right. And on the other, there's always surprises. Right. right? And I love being reminded that that's us too, right? Yes. Just because we're older doesn't mean we stop reinventing ourselves. Exactly. Okay, next question. If you could be in a movie, what movie would it be and what character would you play? Okay, this is a hard one because I like a lot of different characters, but 
it's stop. Uh, I mean, I automatically go to Audrey Hepburn, Holly Go Lightly, and Breakfast at Tiffany's. My and just because one, I love Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, I just love her style. Yeah, I would say I love. But I think Holly was just a mess. Yeah, right. And I love the fact that people are we're all a mess yes. at some level. And these days, especially, I'm feeling like a mess <laughs> as I get ready for this book. And yes. I, so I think I'm drawn to her right yes. now. This kind of um, beautiful mess. She kind was of, beautiful I, and vulnerable. Right. And, and you yes. aspire to be yes, that, right? So it, it's right. the aspiration of that. Right. That, like, hopefully I could aspire to be that and yes. carry it so well. Yes. Okay. Last question. What's your definition of success? My definition of success is just to do work I love uh, with people I, I, I love. And I've been fortunate to do that. I mean, I've worked with some amazing people. Um, the fact that I'm not with a team right now specifically is really hard, been hard for me because yes. I love that give and take, yes. the flow of teamwork, of just the creative riff. I just, I love that. So um, to me, that's that's really the definition of success to, to be able to experience that with people. Awesome. Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are one Thanks, fabulous so social much. lady. No, I'm so happy to be a social lady. So you thank are. you. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me at Carrie Kirpin everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.